So if anyone has a question, feel free to jump in and ask. Hi, may I ask a quick question? Sure. Hi, yes, thank you. Um, Michael, um, you may have answered this question before uh, since I've only been attending the group for a few months uh, and I'm not sure which paragraph we're on in the, in the uh, non-YAR <clears throat> uh, reading, um, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask this question anyway. This is on the, uh, the fifth paragraph of yeah. non-YAR, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, non yes, yes. Non-YAR. Uh, the fifth paragraph is, will there not well, this is, I have, I have two different translations. I have the translation that uh, I, I, um, I printed out from your website. Right. And I, have a, I also have a translation by Dr. T.M.P. Mahadev. Devan, yes. Yes, yes. That is the question and answer version. Ah, okay, okay, uh, okay. Oh, well, the main I, um, version, this essay version, one on my website, that's a translation of the essay version, which is okay. what Bhagavan himself wrote. That is, uh, okay. it was, before he wrote this, it was available, they were, the, the main version was the 30 question answer version, which nowadays is not in print. Bhagavan um, rewrote that in the form of an essay, and when doing so, he refined it in many ways, and he removed certain things that could potentially give room for um, for misunderstanding. So the essay version is a very much refined version of the earlier question and answer version. T. M. P. Mahadevan has um, has translated the twenty eight question and answer version, which is a version that was made some five or six years after Bhagavan wrote the essay version, they they tried to incorporate in the question and answer version the, the improvements made by Bhagavan, but they missed many things. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mixture of the earlier version and the newer version. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I'm going to uh, not today but but in coming weeks, I, I will uh, apply myself to uh, studying uh, more, much more carefully your translation, yes. which uh, I have only recently come upon, right. uh, and, and, and then looking at, at how it uh, corresponds or does not correspond with the other translation. Right. Um, but but in, in, in using, um, um, well, using the, 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 uh, the other translation, um, uh, paragraph five um, uh, looks like it's basically asking, will there not be realization of the self even, by, even while the world is there? And in parentheses, then it says, taken as real. And I've been pondering that, that question very carefully. And uh, this is my understanding. And I just wanted to see um, if this, it's very, very short, uh, see if, if you feel this is correct. Uh, I think the, the, the really, the important uh, principle in that question is the, the, whether the world is taken as real. And my understanding of real now 
has become more refined. And my understanding of real is, to is meaning totally independent of anything else. In other words, stands uh, 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 on its own without beginning or end, without any limitation, and totally independent of anything else. But of course, when we, when we recognize that a, a, the world that is appearing is dependent on awareness, therefore, the world is not independent. It is not existing independent. It is, its apparent existence is entirely dependent on awareness. It is arising in awareness. So uh, therefore, uh, because I realize that only, only awareness and being are totally independent and they are one and the same, then world is not independent. It is totally dependent on the awareness that is being and could not be otherwise. All right. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it is correct, but it, it is, we can say more about it than that. Yes, you are right in saying that um, whatever is real must be independently real. Anything that is dependent on any other thing is not, um, is, is, is not, is not uh, real in its own right. The, but in order to explain what, is, what Bhagavan means by real and unreal, um, it's, it's necessary to understand what he means by real is what actually exists. Anything that does not actually exist, but merely seems to exist, is not real. Um, but, uh, as he says in the beginning of the seventh paragraph in the essay version, he begins by saying, That means what actually exists is only the real nature of oneself. So our own real nature alone is what is real. All other things are just appearances. The world is an appearance. Um, uh, um, this is one of the basic um, principles of Advaita, because according to Advaita, as it is said in Upanishads, there is ekam eva advaitiam, one only without a second. But that is contrary to our experience. In our experience, there seem to be so many things. So according, how does a Dvaita explain this multiplicity, this appearance of multiplicity? It says it's all just an, an appearance, an illusory appearance. But Bhagavan clarifies this still further. He says, to whom does it appear? That is, there cannot be an appearance without it appearing to something. To our own real nature, which alone exists, which is pure being and pure awareness, nothing appears because it, because it is pure awareness. Pure awareness means awareness that is not aware of anything other than itself. So in the view of our pure awareness, there is no appearance. There's no ego or world or anything other than itself. So the world appears only in the view of ego. 
That is why, for example, in verse 26 of Uludunapadu, Bhagavan says, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. Therefore, investigating what this ego is, is giving up everything. So, what is the logic behind this? That is, everything here means all objects or phenomena. They are all appearances. They are objects. But the subject, the objects appear in the view of the, of the subject. The subject is ego. What is aware of the world, that is ego. So, but since, since all the objects, the whole entire world seems to exist only in the view of ego, it's semi-existent is dependent on the semi-existence of ourself as ego. But is ego real? No, it is not, because ego appears in waking and dream, it disappears in sleep. Whatever appears and disappears doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, as Bhagavan said, whatever seems to exist at one time and not at another time, doesn't actually exist, even when it seems to exist. So yeah. ego is just, yes. like the world, ego is just an appearance. It appears only in its own view. Now, we ego is that uh, limited awareness that is aware of itself as I am this body. This this uh, false awareness, I am this body. This arises in waking and dream. It uh, disappears. It subsides in sleep. Only when we are aware of ourselves as a body are we aware of a world. We can see this both in waking and in dream. Now we're aware of the world because we 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 are seeing it through the five senses of this body. Likewise, in dream, the whole dream world is just a mental projection. But, but what we first project is a body as ourself, and then through the senses of that body, we project a world. So the, 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 the dream world is dependent on the dream body through which we are seeing it. And the dream body is dependent on us who take it to be ourself. So everything is dependent on ego. But ego is not real. So long as we are looking outwards, we seem to be ego. But when we turn our attention back to ourselves, if we turn our attention back to ourselves keenly enough, we will see that what we actually are is just pure awareness. So we can never actually see ego. ego that's why Bhagavan said ego doesn't actually exist. But so long as we're aware of anything other than ourselves, it's only as ego that we are aware of other things. So, so long as we are looking at other things, we seem to be ego. When we look back at ourselves to see who am I, this ego, there's no such thing as ego. What they're, they're, uh, The underlying reality alone remains. That is the pure awareness. Uh, we can illustrate this with a, an analogy. If you, um, if you see a, a rope and mistake it to be a snake, there's only one way you can kill that snake. If you take a stick and beat it, it's not going to die. The only way you can kill that snake is to look at it very carefully. If you look at it very carefully, what will you see? Oh, it's not a rope, it's only a snake. Sorry, I mean, it's not a snake, it's only a rope. When you recognize that it's a rope, the snake is 
eradicated, it's removed, because the, the snake was never there in the first place. The snake was there only because you didn't look at it carefully enough. If you look at it carefully enough, you see it's just a rope. Likewise, ego, we seem to be ego because we haven't looked at ourselves carefully enough. In other words, we haven't turned our attention within keenly enough to see what we actually are. If we turn our attention within keenly enough to see what we actually are, we will see that we are pure awareness. And since pure awareness is immutable, we have never become ego. We've never risen as ego. So ego is wholly unreal, but it seems to be real so long as we're seeing the world. Since the appearance of the world is dependent on the appearance of ourself as ego, um, when we know ourselves, ego will be uh, destroyed and the world will be destroyed along with it. That is, when you wake up from a dream, you cease to uh, experience yourself as a dream body and consequently the whole dream world ceases to exist. In exactly the same way, when we know ourselves, this dream world will cease to exist. What will exist is the underlying reality. So, it is sometimes said that the um, that the jnani, one who who knows uh, the, the one who knows uh, uh, his or her own real nature, the jnani, uh sees the world as themselves. What does that mean? That is like saying that we are seeing the snake as a rope. If you, if you say it the other way around, someone is seeing the rope as a snake, that means what is actually there is a rope. They are misperceiving it as a snake. So even when they see it as a snake, it's actually a rope. But if you say you're seeing the rope, the snake as a rope, what does that mean? It means you're not actually seeing the rope at all. You're seeing the un you're not actually seeing the snake at all. You're seeing the rope, the underlying reality. So the jnani, uh, there's a, a verse in Kuruvachya, I'm sorry, in Uladunaptu, verse 18, in which Bhagavan says, both for those who know and those who do not know themselves, the world is real. But, but whereas for those who do not know themselves, the reality of the world is limited to the, to the forms of the world, to the, those who know, the re reality of the world shines uh, devoid of form as the underlying, as the substratum, as the underlying reality. So the Bhagavan sees, Bhagavan is, 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 is jnani. He is seeing exactly the same as we are seeing, but he is not seeing it as we are seeing it. We are seeing it as this world of names and forms, as all this multiplicity. He is seeing it as himself. Yes, yes, thank you, Michael. Um, th this is becoming increasingly clear, um, uh, but I find that for me, uh, I can, I can, um, I can crystallize it a, a little bit more succinctly by by for me focusing on what the nature of real, you know, yeah. really is. And and that as I as I penetrate more deeply into really uh, grasping what what real is pointing to, uh, and 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 recognize that real is 
only only what is it stands completely on its own, not dependent on anything else. Right. That's so then, true. so then, real becomes like a a doorway for me, in in, in which I can then see that uh, you know that 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 any names and forms that 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 seem to be appearing are all dependent on awareness mm. and 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 that's for me that that's a sh- kind of a sh- a shorthand uh, to 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 uh, to 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 go uh, pa- uh, you know past what is appearing yes. and 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 allow myself to grasp what 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 it right. what it really is, right. um, and, and if I may ask one other follow up on that, yes. uh, Bhagavan also uh, indicated I, I I forget oh um, I forget which is which which paragraph it is but uh, or, or, or where he said it but he said that the the first thought that arises is the thought I, and from that thought all, or from that thought, all other names and forms uh, yes. appear. Uh, for a while, for a long while, that was a uh, that was a puzzling statement to me uh, because uh, my background as a as a, um, a neurophysiologist, uh, you know, I was I was trying to bring that kind of a perspective, yes. um, and that you know, and I couldn't I couldn't get get there, I couldn't get to the truth from yes. from that perspective. But when I take a different perspective, when I yes. recognize that when I when I awake from sleep, that's when. The first thought I, meaning the, I I I again, rem, kind of remember. Uh, it's like I come back to the mind. You know, uh, uh, wakes up again, and and uh, and I, you know, I remember not. I remember who I am from an ego standpoint. Yes. I I, I, I remember my identity. Yes, I remember my ident- the identity that I have built up over yes. years of identifying, you know, as this body mind. Yes. So then, so it, so that is the first thought yes. that 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 comes, and then lo and behold, then the whole waking world yes. appears. Yes. So, so yeah. So then, th- so that has given me a completely different perspective yes from yes, from which exactly. to understand his statement yes okay yes um may i add something more to that well please please that yes. is what bhagavan that that is bhagavan describes ego as the first thought i and he explained more about the nature of ego ego is ego that is, our real nature is satchit. Satchit means being awareness, pure being awareness. Um, uh, and so on one hand, there's the pure being awareness that is aware of itself as I am. And on the other hand, there's, um, there, or there seems to be a body. Ego is neither the pure awareness I am, nor is it the body. It is something that rises in between, usurping the properties of both. Like Satchit, ego is aware of itself as I am. 
But unlike Satchit, it rises and it limits itself as the extent of a body. So what he calls ego or the thought called I, or I thought as it's sometimes translated, is the, is the adjunct mixed awareness, I am this person. I am such and such a person. Um, I, uh, Melissa, I think. I am Melissa, or I am Michael, or whoever. So that that um, adjunct mixed awareness, that is ego. So the thought called I, or I thought, is a thought, but it's a thought unlike all other thoughts, because all other, no other thought is aware of itself. Whereas this first thought I is what is aware both of itself and all other things. So it, the, the first thought I is the subject. All other thoughts are objects. The objects appear only in the view of the subject. So without the subject, there are no objects. Without the first thought, there cannot be any other thoughts. Um, so it's only when we limit ourselves as the extent of a body, but we are, but we become aware of other things. So actually the projection of a body and the world, it's all simultaneously. As soon as we rise as ego or I thought, we project a body that we take to be ourselves, and through the five senses of a body, we project a world, which we um which we it seems to us to be real. Why does the world see though we can read the, uh, the the reasoning, we can understand why the world is unreal, but still in our experience, the world is real. Why does the world always appear to be real? There's a very simple reason for it. What is actually real is only I am, only our fundamental awareness of our own existence. That is the pure awareness. But now this pure awareness, I am, not in the view of pure awareness, but in the view of ego, it is conflated with the body. So we are now, as ego, we are not aware of ourselves as just I am. We're aware of ourselves as I am this body. I am Melissa. So because you are now aware of yourself as Melissa, you are real. If you, if, since Melissa seems to be yourself, Melissa seems to you to be real. Melissa is the name of a body, a person. This person, Melissa, seems to be yourself. So since you are real, you're, you are yeah. superimposing your own reality on the appearance of this person, Melissa. And because Melissa is a part of this world, the whole world seems to be real. This is why when we are dreaming, the dream always seems to be real, so long as we're dreaming. We may sometimes get an idea, oh, this can't be real, this must be just a dream, but still it seems to us to be real. It's so yes. if, we, um, if we hit hit our hand on the table, it's a, it's a solid table, everything seems solid, seems so real, but it all seems real only so long as we experience the dream body as ourself. When we wake up, our identification with the dream body is severed, so as soon as we wake up from a dream, we at once recognize it was just a dream. We have no doubt about it, uh, about the fact that it's unreal. What a moment before seemed so real, we are able to recognize as unreal because our identification with the dream body is severed. But yes. instead of identifying that dream body as I, we are now identifying this body as I. Since we take this body to be I, this world seems to be real. Yes, yes, thank you, Michael. This is this is so helpful. 
it 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 has never been so clear as it's as it is becoming now. So thank but, you so much. But what is actually real? That is the important thing. What is actually real? Yes. Is only I am that fundamental yes. awareness of our own being that yes. I am is such it. So yes. we need to separate ourselves, this pure I am, from all of these things by holding on to self attentiveness, by trying to attend only to that fundamental awareness I am. Yes. The more we, the more we hold on to that awareness, the more the adjuncts, all these other things, will drop off. Yes, yes, and eventually it's, the pure I am alone will remain. Yes, it it's it is really a a remarkable um, mystery <laughs> how, how this all how this all um, happens. Uh, yes. I'm 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 just um, I'm just continually in in like one. I'm just wonder. I'm just in wonderment. Yes, um, in amazement. Yes. Um, it's but but it is a mystery that can never be solved. <laughs> Bhagavan said, if you ask how or why does all this appear, that can never be answered because yes, yes. it all appears because you've risen as ego. But why yes. has ego risen? If you then have to investigate what is this ego. If you investigate what the ego is, <sighs> you'll find there's no such thing at all. So, they, so the, the question how or why becomes redundant. Yes. It seems yes. such an important question, so long as all this appears to exist. But if we investigate the one to whom all this appears, namely yes. ourselves, this ego, this thought called I, we will, go, we will, we will pierce through, the, through ego back to its underlying reality. Just like if you look carefully at the snake, you pierce through the snake, to the underlying reality of a rope. So we need yes. to investigate this I that is aware of all these things and see its underlying reality, which is the pure I am. Yes, when we see the underlying pure I am, we will know that we have never been ego. So the questions of why or how become redundant. Mm -hmm. I, I'm finding now that more and more the question of why or how is it's like it it's it's no longer presses on me. Yes. I, I I can just allow the the mystery to 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 do its yes. thing. Yes, <laughs> and yes. and yes. We we can leave aside the how or, or why. What we need to investigate is who or what am I? Yes, that is yes. the important thing. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Michael. Michael, helping me out in that a whole lot was when you explained to us a long time ago. Wait, excuse me, Ted. Hang on, hang on for a second, Ted. We have a question in chat first from Vidya. Vidya, would you please uh, ask Michael your question? I just I was concerned about this uh, three states of waking, dream, and deep sleep. Now um, I know Michael, we have, you know, I've watched many of your videos, and you always um, emphasize that Bhagwan says. Sleep is a state of pure awareness, and um, you know ego does not exist in sleep. Um, but we are aware of three states. We are aware there's a waking state, a dream state, and a and a deep sleep state. Whereas the real nature is beyond these three states. So, I mean, in some Advaita texts they try to call this sleep state as a very subtle form of ego or a causal body. Um, so there still there's a little bit of confusion here. So if you could right. clear that up, it would be good. Okay, right, right. 
what we call sleep is, in our view, sleep is a temporary interlude between successive states of waking and dream. So as one of the three states, sleep is unreal. But what sleep actually is, is the underlying reality. That is, we can illustrate this with a, an analogy. In, in, a, in a cinema, you have a screen. There are two states of the screen. Either there are pictures being projected on it, or there are no pictures being projected on it. The pictures being projected on it are like waking and dream. No picture being projected on it is like sleep. But actually, the, the screen without any pictures is, is the screen as it is. The natural state of the screen is to be without any pictures. Even when the pictures are projected on the screen, the screen is unaffected by it. But as Bowen used to say, if, you, if, there's a, if, if, there's a, if the film is of a raging fire, the screen is not burnt. If it's of a, a great flood, the screen is not, does not become wet. So the screen is untouched. So our, our, our being is untouched. But from the view, point of view of ego, that exists only in waking and dream, sleep seems to be a third state. So long as we consider it as a third state, one among three, it has to be said as unreal. That's why it's explained like that in Sastras. But Bhagavan said, actually, sleep is, is the only real state. But because we have come out of it, we call it, we, we say it is imperfect. So the only imperfection in sleep is the fact that we've come out of it. But it's only from the perspective of ego in waking and dream that we've come out of sleep. The truth is, when we know ourselves as we actually are, we will know we have never come out of sleep. Sleep is our eternal state. So the truth about sleep is very, very subtle. That's why it's explained in different ways, in different texts, to suit the different grasping powers. Not everyone is ready to, to, to grasp the subtler truth. But the subtler truth is, as Bhagavan said, sleep is a state of pure awareness. What exists in sleep is only ourself, nothing other than ourself. Ego appears only in waking and dream. Now, sleep seems to be imperfect because we are viewing sleep now from the perspective of ego. Now, from the perspective of ego, sleep seems to be a state of, 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 of darkness. We can only, we think, when we try to describe our experience in sleep, we only describe it in negative terms. It was, um, it was darkness. I wasn't aware of anything. Of course, we were aware. If, if we were not aware, we would not be aware even of having slept. We are aware of having been in a, sleep, a state in which we were not aware of anything. So we were aware without being aware of anything. That is a state of pure awareness. That is our, our real state. Um, but sleep seems to be imperfect because we've come out of it. The problem is we've coming out of it. So who is it who has come out of sleep? That is ego. If we investigate this ego, we will see its underlying reality is the pure awareness, which is what shines alone in sleep and which continues to shine even now. Because what we are now aware of as I am, that is the pure awareness that we actually are. 
in waking and dream, we we conflate this fundamental awareness I am with a body. And so we are aware of ourselves as I am Vidya, or I am Michael, or I am whoever. Um, and in the view of that adjunct mixed awareness, uh, all, all these phenomena that appear in waking and dream seem to exist. In in sleep, the adjuncts drop off and the, the pure I am alone remains. But from when we when we from the perspective of the ego, sleep seems to be a state of I didn't know anything. Actually, as Bhagavan said, it's a state of pure awareness. What we are not aware of is anything other than ourselves. But because we do not know ourselves as pure awareness now, sleep seems to us to be we that is what actually shone in sleep is only pure awareness. But because now we are not aware of pure awareness, our own real nature as it actually is, we are not able to recollect the, the, the pure awareness that we experienced in sleep. So sleep seems to us to be an imperfect state. That is the reason why uh, these um, it's explained in various different ways in different sastras to suit people of different grasping power. But if we want to follow Bhagavan's path deeply, the simplest explanation is the explanation given by Bhagavan. But um, that is usually in the sastras, they distinguish a fourth state, which they clarify is not actually the fourth, it's the only real state. But to distinguish it from waking, dream, and sleep, the three passing states, it's called the fourth. It's the, actually the only one real state. But Bhagavan has said, the truth is that that one real state is in no way different to sleep. But the only reason sleep seems to be imperfect is because we seem to have come out of it. In whose view have we come out of sleep? In the view of pure awareness, we never come out of sleep. It's only in the view of ourselves as ego. So the whole problem is ego. If we investigate this ego, which we cannot do in sleep, obviously, because there's no ego. It's only in waking and dream we can investigate ego. So in waking and dream, we should be investigating this ego. Who am I who is aware of all this? Who is aware of sleep as if it is one among three states? So the sleep that alternates with waking, which is what we seem to feel right now, is not real. It is real. But it seems to be unreal because we see it as alternating. It is mm. not actually alternating, but from the perspective of ego, it seems to be alternating. Saduam used a simple analogy to illustrate this. If you've got a vast open space, and in that vast open space you erect two walls, you have seemingly divided the vast open space into three. The two mm. walls that are erected is the waking body and the dream body. So we now seem to have three states, but actually it's only one state. Wait, wait, the, the state beyond the two walls is the state that we now call sleep, but it's actually the one real state, and it's here and now. What, we exp what, we, what shines in sleep is shining here and now. But in sleep, it's shining all on its own, as just I am. Now, it's shining as I am, but with all these other things seemingly superimposed upon it. Why do, have all these other things been superimposed on it? Because of a fundamental superimposition, I am this body. 
that they have my buddy, chit chat a granti. That is the root problem. That is ego. That is what we need to investigate. And when we investigate ego, what is it we're investigating? Ego is an adjunct conflated awareness. But what we're investigating is not the adjuncts. It's not the jada portion of the chit jada granti. It is the chit portion. As Bhagavan says in Mahasha's gospel, in your investigation into the source of the ahambriti, that means the I thought, you take the essential chit aspect of ego. The essential chit aspect of ego means I am. The jada aspect is the body. So we hold on to the I am. That I am is actually the underlying reality. It seems to be ego so long as the adjuncts are still clinging. But the more we hold on to I am, the more the adjuncts will drop off. And when when we when we go deep enough into this, uh, when we attend to ourselves keenly enough and thereby sink deep enough within, the adjuncts will drop off entirely and that pure awareness alone will remain. Then we will know that sleep is our perfect state, our eternal state. It's only now that it seems to be imperfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Michael, is that, I got a is question that clear? for you. But it's a very it's a very subtle point, but it, it's 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 a very if we're able to grasp this, this will help us greatly in our practice. Because what is it we are trying to attend to? We are trying to attend to that fundamental awareness of being, but is shining in all the three states. So so long as we are aware of anything other from what we were aware of in sleep, that is something other than ourselves. So we need to go deeper and deeper within, trying to hold on to just that, just that pure awareness I am. Mm, okay, now I understand what he means by say, waking, you remain alert, awake, but in sleep. Yes, okay. yes. Mm, yeah, thank you, thank you. That so you Michael, need to experience the, the, the purity of sleep with the, with the, seeming clarity but we have in waking actually the clarity in waking is the same clarity that existed in sleep but from the perspective of ego sleep seems to be a state and lacking in clarity but it's only from the perspective of ego that uh, that dosha is there it's a drishti dosha right. thank you yes thank you so so one of the problems here michael is the um what i call a misnomer that i had to get around I mean, for me, studying this, the biggest hill to climb and to come down the other side from is understanding that ego is not real, hence the world is not real, hence the self-ted is not real, hence dreams are not real. Nothing is real other than awareness. I mean, that's been drilled into me pretty thoroughly over the time. Uh, so please correct me if I'm wrong here, but to me, that one word awareness has been somewhat of a stumbling block at times too, because in reality, and here's where you need to correct me, there is nothing to be aware of except awareness itself. So when I first learned about awareness, being I am, being the true self, I wondered what else it was aware of. Why even call it awareness? I mean, obviously, awareness would be aware of itself. But that was a stumbling block for me not of the same size as climbing the hill and getting over the fact that nothing is real that has a beginning yes. and an end. Yes. Uh, and yet we still call it awareness today. Yes. That, that is... Um, 
we, we need to be very careful with the word awareness. Many people misunderstand because they, they are so used to taking awareness to mean being aware of things. Right. But we, in order to be aware of things, we, need to, we must be aware. But in order to be aware, we don't need to be aware of things. Yeah. In sleep, we are aware without being aware of anything. That is, there's no objects of awareness. But pure awareness is always aware of itself. That, that is why pure awareness is distinguished from the adjunct mixed awareness. Pure awareness is the real awareness. The adjunct mixed awareness is ego. That is not real. That is what is called chidabhasa. Chidabhasa is generally translated as reflection of awareness, but actually it's got a slightly deeper meaning. Abhasa means uh, a likeness. So if you look in a mirror, do you see Ted? No, you see a likeness of Ted. Exactly. So the, this, this ego is... It, 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 it can be useful to think of it as a reflection, but it's important to understand in what sense it's a reflection. It's not the, it's not the real awareness, it's just a likeness of awareness. Why is it not real awareness? Because real awareness will not be aware of anything other than what is real. But ego is aware of so many things that are not real, mere appearances. So ego is not a re it's, ju it's just a semblance of awareness, a likeness of awareness. But ego couldn't seem to be aware without that underlying awareness I am. So that is what we need to go back to, return to that fundamental awareness I am. So I want to nail you down here pretty uh, strongly if I possibly can. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. Been, been doing this since A Course in Miracles and uh, Sai Baba and Muji and now Ramana Maharshi. And I really found my home with Ramana. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about it. But in many of the groups that I've belonged to over the years, including this Sunday morning group, we've had a lot of people come and go. Uh, some would contend that there are still exceptions, that the world is real, that that tree I see and touch and can smell is real. Uh, and, you know, I try to suggest to them, well, you know, it's real in your awareness as if it's a dream. It's definitely real within the dream that car going down the street that you hear and you can smell is re absolutely real within the dream, but it's still a dream. The dream implies it's not real, never was real, that there's yes. nothing real. Yes. Yet uh, that can be a source of confusion well, for those of us on this path, as it has been for me meeting people here, yes. some of whom have been studying this a lot longer than I have, yes. who still figure out a way to work in exceptions to the rule that nothing exists right. except awareness. Yeah. Is the snake real or not? <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> it is real. Well, it's real in the dream and real in the no, perception. It is real as a rope. It is not real as a snake. So the it's real as a rope. Yes. It's okay. real as you. It is not real as anything other than you. If it were a real snake, if you walked up to it from 20 feet where you thought it was a snake and somebody said, no, that's a rope, and you <laughs> walked up to it and you discovered it was a snake, it still doesn't make any difference. That's within the context of Maya. 
That's yeah, within yeah, the context. Yeah. That, that, that's just an analogy, but that the analogy is to illustrate something. Right? We're, it, we're not actually saying that the snake is real or the rope is real, but it, it is to illustrate the point. The whole yeah. world, Bhagavan says, for the jnani, the whole world is real. Not as the names and forms that we are seeing, because for, for the jnani, what, he, what we see as the world is what the jnani sees as pure awareness. Yeah. We've lost a couple of members here I can think of uh, a couple of years ago, maybe not quite that long, because they, they still continue to contend. I talked to them outside of the meetings as well mm. as in the meetings that, no, I, I, you've, you've taken me pretty far along this line that Ramana proposes to be the truth. And it sounds real. It sounds authentic, genuine, but not all of it. I mean, some of this I know has to be real, has to be me, has yeah, to be yeah. Life. Ultimately, we all believe what we want to believe. That is why there's no point in trying to convince those who don't want to be convinced. Bhagavan often, um, he would often, when people were not ready to accept the deeper teaching, he would sometimes come down a level and talk from a, a more, um, from a more mundane level. For example, if people came to Bhagavan and said, oh, Bhagavan, there are so many injustices in the world. I want to, I want to rectify all these injustices. In those days uh, in India, a big issue was uh, the, the, there was still British rule in India. So there was a big freedom movement. So everyone considered this, um, this, uh, this foreign rule is very unjust. Obviously, it is. Um, and there are other people who have uh, ideas about this caste system is unjust. Or they, 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 we, when we see the world, we can always see so many problems in it. So they, they, and there will always be people who want to rectify the world, who they think the world isn't satisfactory. So when people came to Bhagavan wanting to reform the world in one way or another, Bhagavan said, he who has created the world knows how to take care of it. Leave it to him. So Bhagavan comes down to their level as if accepting the world is real and as if accepting that God has created it. Uh, but that is what's appropriate to them. That's one uh, um, uh, uh, thing, one type of response we see from Bhagavan. But often when people came to Bhagavan just to argue about these things without any intention of learning, just to try and assert their own views, Bhagavan would often just keep quiet. Because there's no <laughs> point There's no point in arguing. Why to try and convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced? That's, that's, a, that's a form of himsa. That's a form you're doing harm. If I try to force you to believe something you don't want to believe, I'm trying to impose my ideas on you. So let everyone believe what they want to believe. So long as they're not doing a harm to others, it, it doesn't matter what people believe. People believe what they want to believe. But what Bhagavan has taught us is for those of us who have had enough of this world, who have, having undergone life after life, dream after dream after dream, we finally have seen through all this. We finally at least begun to recognize that happiness does not lie in these external things. We have all, till now, we have always been seeking happiness outside ourselves, and we've been disappointed. So we, for those few of us who have been disappointed too many times, um, the, 
this teachings of Bhagavan will appeal to us. But we, you can't expect it. But, but if you were to put it to a vote, what once someone said, when there was some, I don't know exactly what the discussion was about, and um, there, it was something to do with like about the reality of the world or something like that. And uh, someone uh, said to Bhagavan, Bhagavan, if we put it to a vote, uh, we will win and you will lose. And then Bhagavan <laughs> said, okay, I'll vote along with you. <laughs> hey, one because last question, there, and then I'll be quiet. There's no point in trying to. In, in, that is, this is for those who really want to, who want to see the underlying reality. If you want to see the underlying reality, you at least must be willing to question the reality of what you're seeing. Yeah. If you yeah, take yeah. the tree to be real, you, you you're not really interested in seeing the underlying reality. If you were really interested in seeing the underlying reality, you wouldn't um, you wouldn't be concerned about the uh, whether the tree is real or not. You'll be quite happy to 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 question the reality of the of the tree. You wouldn't be attached to the idea this tree is real. I certainly learned that lesson the, the hard way, even after hearing you say, don't go around telling people about it, yeah. as Ramana advises, yeah. I couldn't help myself. And now I've stopped completely with one exception. Yeah. Occasionally, and people here might relate to it, somebody will come up and say, you know, I have happened to notice in previous conversations that you're on a unique path or a different path than most of us are on spiritually. Uh, I'm curious, could you tell me more about that? Mm. Well, I take that as... <laughs> <laughs> a reason to open my big mouth and start talking about it. And I realized in quick order, that was a mistake. There's yes. <laughs> no way to talk about this. So my question to you is, can you recommend any source? There's a thousand sources on Ramana's teachings, slight exaggeration, but a source that might be useful to point another person to, sorry for the truck going by, a, a, a source, a book, a video that might be useful that I could point somebody to if they do have an interest in learning about this path? I think a very good text to start with is, is uh, Who Am I, Nana. Don't you think that's too advanced? That is the introductory text. <laughs> that's giving the ABC. Um, I mean, there, there are other books like there's books like talks and Mahash's gospel and everything. The problem is these books are it's been recorded by others. So what they have recorded is not actually what Bhagavan said, what they understood of what Bhagavan said. Mm -hmm. So uh it's very clear when we read some of these books that these people haven't don't have a very deep understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. So they've what they've recorded is what they understood of what Bhagavan was saying rather than what Bhagavan actually said. That's why I always recommend Bhagavan's own writings, works like Nana, Uludu Napadu, Upadesh Undia, Arunachastutipanchikam. These but Bhagavan in Bhagavan's own writings, we get his teachings from the horse's own mouth, as it were. We get it as it is. If we if we rely on other books, which have been recorded by other people, we are seeing Bhagavan's teachings as understood by someone else. So it's always better to, to, to I mean, we are very blessed that Bhagavan himself wrote his teachings in Nana and so many 
um, well, not so many, there are just a handful of poems, but everything we need to know is contained in, in the few original writings of Bhagavan. Well, thank you, because I've batted zero being an influence in anyone's life who's asked me to explain more about the life I embrace. So that's helpful. Thank yeah, you. But that is, we, if someone asks us, if they're just curious about us, why are we following this path? Don't take that to be curiosity about the path. They're <laughs> interested in Ted. Ted is this strange phenomenon who's following some strange path. So let's ask Ted more about this, this path. They, they don't, if someone comes and asks you, if someone comes and asks you with, we can discern whether people are interested in us or interested in what, what it is, whether they're actually interested in what we're following. If they're really interested, if they, if they recognize the, the shortcomings of this embodied existence, and they're looking for something beyond that, then only it's useful to tell them. If they're just curious about you as a person, mm -hmm. why are you following this strange path? Why do you have these strange beliefs? They're not going to be convinced by whatever you say. They'll just take you to be, the, the more you try and say, the odder they will take you to be. That's, that's all you will achieve. That's very Convincing helpful. them how odd you are. Yeah. Confirming yeah. their belief, but you're so odd. So yeah. <laughs> it's of no use. <laughs> Thank you. You convinced me. Yes. <laughs> we know we're odd, so we don't need to convince others. What, what could be odder than taking awareness to be a body? So we are all odd. <laughs> so we are trying to solve this oddness in us. But not everyone is, takes this to be odd. They take it to be very natural to take a body to be I. Right. And some of the critics of this path are very critical. I mean, it's blasphemy. It's, you know, it's heresy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. condemned to That's the fires fine. of That's hell. That's fine. <laughs> it, it, we, fortunately, in this path, there is no such thing as blasphemy. Yeah. Because, because it, it, it is... You have to recognize, why are there so many different religions? Why are there so many different philosophies? Why are there so many different worldviews? It's because the different views are suited to different people at different stages of spiritual development. At one time, maybe not in this lifetime, but in some former lifetime, we would have believed like these people. At one time, we would have been a materialist. Then we may have developed uh, some sort of a, um, a primitive type of religious belief. But if we, if we pray to God, he will give us the things that we want. And slowly, slowly, uh, through so many different lives, we have slowly been developing. So it is natural. There, there, will, all, there will always be a diversity of beliefs in the world. There will always be a diversity of interests, of uh, aspirations. Because we're all at different stages of our spiritual development. Yeah. That's why they, we, we, are not, we should never try to proselytize uh, Bhagavan's teaching. We should never try and preach it. Because if you try and preach it, you will, you, if you want to convince others, you will have to dilute it. The more people you want to convince, the more you'll have to dilute it. What is the use of diluting it? There's 
all religions are ultimately just dilutive forms of Bhagavan's teachings. <laughs> so there's already plenty of dilutions there. For this pure, pure heart of every religion is what Bhagavan has taught us. That is for those who are ready for this. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I have a question. Yes. Could you, it's probably not, but could you say more about um, after enlightenment when there's no, when uh, multiplicity is no longer seen as uh, everything is seen as the self? It, so how, what, what, what is that like? Like, do you, when you talk to a person, then you still see a face? Is it that you just see that face? <laughs> as you or? That is, we are asking this question from the perspective of our present state. In our present state, we experience ourselves as a body. Because we experience ourselves as a body, we see this world in which there are so many other bodies like ours, and other bodies, some have four legs, some have two wings, but all people in so many different forms, in human forms and in, uh, and in various other, the forms of various other species. All this appears because we take ourselves to be this body. And because we take ourselves to be this body, we see someone like Bhagavan, who is a jnani, and we say, oh, there's a jnani. We, we take the person we, we see as the jnani. But according to the jnani, according to Bhagavan, he is not aware of himself as this body. It's only because we mistake ourselves to be a body, but we mistake him to be a body. He says what, what, he, what, what is actually real is only pure awareness. What remains after, um, after ego is annihilated, Bhagavan has explained in verse 28 of Upadeshundia. He says, if one knows what the real nature of oneself is, then anadi, ananta, akanda, satchidananda. Uh, Satchitananda, I think you know. Sat means uh, pure being. Chit yes. means pure awareness. Ananda means pure happiness. These are not three se separate things. They are all one. That is, pure being is itself pure awareness, is itself pure happiness. And three adjectives he's given there. Anadi. Anadi means it's beginningless. Why is it beginningless? Because it's beyond time. Um, Time comes afterwards. Time comes only after rising of ego. So it, it's beginningless. Uh, that implies eternal, but it doesn't say it explicitly. Then the next word is ananta. Ananta means uh, without end or without limit. Because it's without end, it's the, anadi and ananta together means it's eternal. But ananta means it's infinite because it's without limit. Uh, so it's it's without limit. And the third one is akanda. It's unbroken, undivided. So it's one infinite, undivided whole. That is Satchitananda. So there is no, there's nothing other than that to see. So it is what is described in, the, in, in one of the Upanishads as ekam eva advaitiam, one only without a second. Because how can there be anything other than what is infinite? 
Yes, it, it makes sense um, to me intellectually, but you're right. It's my ego that wants to try and understand, yeah. well, how will this work? <laughs> if you really want to know the answer to that question, see yourself, turn within, find out who am I, and the question will be answered. Any answer before that will be inadequate because you, you so long as you're knowing yourself as this body, you can't know yourself as you actually are. What you actually are can be known only by turning within and thereby separating yourself from the person you now seem to be. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Right. <laughs> Well, that's about the longest period of silence we've ever had. So mm. we're getting maybe somewhere. We could, uh, we're progressing. <laughs> okay. Yes, we've got. Uh, can I can I ask a question? Yes, certainly. Um. So you know the word ahamspurna, mm. I I and I am. Is there any difference between the three of them? And if so, what? Okay. How does this fit into the Ajata concept? Okay. Okay. Um, I am refers to our being. I, I is what is aware. Awareness is always aware of itself as I. So I refers to awareness. Am refers to the existence of awareness. Awareness and its existence are not two different things. So I am refers to our existence and our awareness, our fundamental existence, our pure being and our pure awareness. So uh, I am is the natural name of the reality. Bhagavan said the first name of God is I am. It's the first name for all of us. It's the natural name for us. Um, I, what you said, I, I, that is a mistranslation. The term Bhagavan used in Tamil is nan nan, in Sanskrit, ahamaham, and whatever the equivalent is in Telugu. I'm not, I don't know what it is in Telugu, but um, what that means is I am I. Just like if you, if you say um, that, that is in. In, in Sanskrit and Tamil, and I would imagine in most Indian languages, if, you're, if you want to say, uh, I am this, you just say, I this. The am is understood there. Ahamidam means I am this. The, the actual words are I this, but it means I am this. Uh, for example, the, the question in Tamil, uh, nanya means I who. The am is not there. It's it's under it, it's implicit, it's not explicit. Likewise in Sanskrit, koham is kaha aham. The am is understood there. Um, uh, um, shivoham. Uh, Shiva, I. That means Shiva is I or I am Shiva. Soham, he is I. The is is not there, it's understood. So when Bhagavan says ahamaham or nan nan, he means I am I. That is very, very significant. The reason Bhagavan used this term ahamaham is now we're aware of ourselves as I am this, I am this body. Uh, 
deho ham. Deho ham means the body is I, but that is not the truth. The truth is, what is our, the, the, when we take the body to be I, that is a false identity. We are taking ourselves to be something other than what we actually are. So what actually are we? We are nothing other than I. So I am I. That means I am not this or that or anything else. I am just I. So that is the ultimate, uh, the, 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 uh, an expression that, that that is the term ahamaham or I, I am I that refers to our real identity. What we actually are is only I and nothing other than I. Um, the term aham spurana, aham again means I, spurana is a noun derived from a verb spur. But the verb spur, um, it has various meanings. The, the basic meaning is it shines or it makes itself known. But you can also, anything that makes itself known is um, is a sporana. So a flashing light is a sporana. Um, a palpitation is a sporana. But it, obviously Bhagavan is not talking about any physical thing that makes itself known. He's talking about the the, the clarity of self-awareness. So, sparana, in, in the context of aham sparana, sparana means clarity. When we begin to investigate ourselves, when we begin to turn our attention within, we begin to we we begin to experience ourselves with a fresh clarity. So long as we were looking out, but the this. Uh, awareness, I am this body, seem to us to be so real. But the more we look within, the more we become aware of ourselves as something distinct from this body. So we begin to experience at least a taste of the clarity, uh, ahamaham, the sporana, while we are practicing. When that clarity becomes full, that clarity will swallow us. So the the um sparana doesn't mean it the sparana is nothing other than ourself it is a clarity of awareness of ourself a clarity of self-awareness and that clarity how do we experience that by turning our attention towards ourselves to the extent to which we attend to ourselves to that extent do we experience sparana obviously the deeper we go within the 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 greater the degree of sparana, the greater the degree of clarity of awareness. Finally, when that shines forth with full clarity, that is the, that is the uh, annihilation of ego. That is what Bhagavan refers to. Um, I'll, I'll read the... Um, because... Uh, do, do you know Sanskrit? Rani? You, are you at all familiar with Sanskrit? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay, but, then I'll, I'll read to you um, um, what Bhagavan says in, in the Sanskrit version of Upadesha Saram. In, in verse uh, 20, um, what Bhagavan says is, um, uh, Ahami, uh, ahami nasa baji, that means when, on I undergoing annihilation, or when I is annihilated, that means when ego is annihilated, aham aham teya, as I am I, uh, 
spuriti hrit swayam. That hrit means the heart, swayam means um, spontaneously or of its own accord. Uh, spuriti, it shines. It shines forth spontaneously as I am I. So the meaning of that first sentence is when ego, when I, namely ego, is annihilated, the heart, the heart means what we actually are, the real nature of ourselves, shines forth spontaneously as aham aham, I am I. Note that here the verb Bhagavan uses is spurati. This is the verb from which the noun sporana is derived. And then in the, he concludes that verse by saying, parama purnasat. Parama means supreme, uh, Purna means what is whole or infinite, and Sat means existence, being, or reality. So this, this, what shines forth spontaneously as I am I, that is Parama Purna Sat. So th that will shine forth in all its, in the, in, in, with full clarity, only when ego is annihilated. But even during the practice, even, even when we are trying to turn our attention within, before ego has been annihilated, we are experiencing our own being with greater and greater clarity. So we are beginning to recognize ourselves as something other than this body. We're beginning to recognize that what we actually are is only I and nothing other than I. But it's still not fully clear, so we need to persevere in the practice. So ultimately, uh, um, Spurana, I am I, and, and I am are all referring to the same thing. However, we, we need to be careful with words because the same words are used in slightly different sense in different contexts. In some contexts, when Bhagavan is talking about the sparana we experience <coughs> during practice, he says, when he gives an analogy, he says, just like um, a flame that catches camphor will continue burning until the last residue of camphor is, is burnt, and then the flame will subside. He said, when this sparana catches ego, it will and it will continue burning until ego is annihilated, and then it subsides. What does he mean? There he's saying it subsides. Here he's saying, in this verse 20, he's saying it shines forth. What is the that there's a seeming contradiction there? What it means is so long as we are um uh, are practicing the the clarity we experience has a freshness and newness because we are so familiar with experiencing ourselves as I am this body, I am Rani or I am Michael or I am whoever. But when we begin to separate ourselves from this person we seem to be and to hold on to I am, we, when we begin to recognize, oh, I am just I, it's a fresh clarity. That fresh clarity shines more and more brightly the deeper we go within. When we go within deeply enough, that will consume us entirely. That is the, the, the flame burning the camphor. Then the flame subsides. Does that mean that we lose the clarity? No. What it means is the clarity no longer seems to be something new or fresh. It is recognized to be sahaja. So but when the sparana subsides, the remaining state is sahaja. So it's called sparana, so long as it seems to be something new, it's called sahaja when it's recognized to be our eternal and natural state.
So ultimately, yeah, ultimately, what what the terms sporad, uh, I am, I am I, and uh, aham sporana, what they're all referring to is ultimately just our own real nature. So, okay, but the way you explain to me, it seems like aham sporana is a process. During practice, it's a process. Okay. At the time it shines forth with all, in all its glory, it is, it is the ending of the process. And what then remains is Sahaja. So, if it's a process, then would I, I and I am be a little more at a higher level than Ahamspurana? How, how many eyes are there? There's only one. Yes. So let's let's not let's not get in. Different terms are used in different contexts for different purpose. So when Bhagavan is talking about sparana with the in, in relation to the practice in, in Vichara Sangraham, in the first chapter, he says, if one investigates what is it that is now shining in this body as I. Uh, oh, he's setting aside the body for an investigate. What is it that now shines as I? He says, setting aside the body as a corpse. So in other words, ignoring the body as if it was a corpse. Um, if one keenly investigates what is it that shines as I, then a kind of sparana. He says, or vida uh, uh, spuripu. In Tamil, the Tamil word spuripu is a Tamil form, I mean, it's a Tamil equivalent of sparana. So, a kind of, or vida means a kind, a kind of sparana is experienced. That's not sparana in all its fullness, but that is, we begin to, to get a taste of that sparana. That is the process, getting, experiencing that clarity with greater and greater depth. When the clarity, when we go within deeply enough, we will be swallowed by that clarity. Once we are swallowed by that clarity, we will recognize that clarity to be our own real nature. It will no longer be something new, it will be natural. So is that state the ajata state? Only the sahaja state is the ajata state. When when even the newness of this sparana has subsided and it is recognized to be sahaja, what remains there is what alone always exists, which is... Uh, 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 and in that state, nothing has ever appeared. So it is ajata. So the end of aham sparana leads to ajata. Yes, the end of the, the spiritual path leads to a jata. The end, the, when ego is finished, what remains is a jata. So, if I simplify it for my sake, yes. when the aham is completely annihilated, there's only that spurana or consciousness or awareness or whatever. Yep, yep. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. But when you say when I is annihilated, what is the I that is annihilated? It is the ego. That is the adjunct mixed. So what is what is the difference between ego and the pure I am is only the adjuncts. When the adjuncts drop off, that is the destruction of ego. And what then remains is the pure I am, which is what we actually are.
Actually, in Telugu, Spurana means um, consciousness. In Tamil, one of the, there's a verb in Tamil that is very frequently used. Puri. Puri means. Uh, if Puri. Yeah. I want to ask you, is it? Do you understand? I say, Puriyoma. Uh, do you, is it clear? And then you say, Anakupuriyom. It is clear to me. So in that sense, yes, it means consciousness. It means a clarity of consciousness. Puriyarda Puriyam is different from Puriyam. It, it, it's actually a Tamil form of the same word. That is, the, the, in Tamil, so sometimes the Sanskrit words take a slightly different form. So the initial S is dropped in 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 day to day Tamil, but it's actually it's the same verb. So the the, the most accurate translation of it, if you want to translate it into English, we would say. Um, we would say clarity. Is it clear to is it clear to you? Yes, it's clear to me. That's a literal enakupuriyam literally means it is clear to me. That's a way of saying I understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so little by little it's becoming clear. The more we go deep within, the clearer it will all become. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, right. <laughs> So, does anyone have any other questions, or shall I begin to talk about this um, 16th paragraph? Okay, go ahead, Michael. Okay. Um, we've only got about half an hour. I don't know whether it's going to be time, because this is a, a very important paragraph, but if we don't... Um, if we don't finish it, it doesn't matter. We can continue some other time. Um, <clears throat> this, is, this is a very significant paragraph for a number of reasons, which I will explain as, as we go along. Um, or I'll first give a little bit of background to the, just to, to um, highlight the significance of this uh, text. But... but there is a strong tradition uh, among Advaitins that um, but knowledge can be obtained only from the, the, from the, um, the Prasthana Treya, the, the three source texts of Vedanta. Only Vedanta can reveal to you knowledge of yourself. So you have to study the, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita and the Brahma Sutra with the commentaries on them and with sub-commentaries. That is how to attain self-knowledge. That is basically what Bhagavan is, uh, he, Bhagavan is repudiating that idea in this, um, in this paragraph. Um, what he says in the first sentence is, uh, since in every text, in this context, a text means every Vedanta text or Advaita text. Um, since in every text, it is said that for attaining mukti or liberation, it is necessary to make the mind cease. The word he uses for cease is adhaka, which can mean cease or subside. But in this context, it means cease entirely. Uh, it, it's not just a temporary uh, subsidence of mind we want, it is permanent cessation of mind. So to attain liberation, 
it's necessary to make the mind cease. Um, so he says, since, since in every text it is said, but for attaining liberation, it is necessary to make the mind cease. After knowing that mano nigraha alone is the ultimate intention of such texts, there is no benefit to be gained by studying texts without limit. Mano nigraha means, um, means restraint, subjugation, or in this context, it means destruction of mind. Um, the, nigraha means actually holding the mind, but uh, in, the, in the, this context, we can attain liberation only by destruction of mind. So in this context, it implies destruction of mind. Um, and then in the next sentence, he says, um, the, the, particular, the, the particular sentence structure is very effective in Tamil, but it can't adequately be, we've got no equivalent way of saying it in English, but I'll try it. The, the, the first half of the sentence is, Manate adukuvadaku tane yarendru bicharika vendame. That means, for making the mind cease, it is necessary to investigate oneself who. That, that implies it's necessary to investigate oneself to see who one actually is. Um, the, the who is just, it's necessary to investigate oneself as who. That means to investigate oneself to see what one actually is. Uh, and then the rest of the sentence, alamo means except or besides, uh, Epidi nul galil vicharipadu. That literally means how investigating in texts, what that implies, what it, the clear meaning in Tamil, but it's, as I say, if we try and translate it literally, it doesn't come out properly in English. What that implies is instead of investigating ourselves, how to investigate and know ourselves in texts. That is, the implication is by investigating books, we can't know what we actually are. To know what we actually are, we need to investigate ourselves. And then in the next sentence, he says, Tane Tanudea Jnana Kanal Tane Arya Bendum. It is necessary to know oneself only by one's own eye of Jnana. Jnana here means knowledge or awareness. So it's we, uh, we ourselves are not an object. We can't know ourselves as an object. So it's only uh, with our with our eye of awareness. That is, awareness alone can know itself. We can't know ourselves as an object. Is the implication? So it's it's the eye of awareness is within us. The books are outside. So it's only within ourselves that we need to see ourselves. Um, and then in the next sentence, he says, Raman Tane, Raman Indraria, Kanadi Vendama. That means, does Raman need a mirror to know himself as Raman? Uh, here, Raman Bhagavan just takes an, a random name. So it implies that a person called Rama, Raman, does he need a mirror to know himself as Raman? So do we need to go and look, look in a mirror to know who am I? Do, do in order to know I'm Michael, do I need to go and look in a mirror just to check that I'm not some other person? No, we, we, we know ourselves just, uh, we, we don't need a mirror to know ourselves. And um, likewise, what, what he's referring, what, what, what this signifies is the, the scriptures are like uh, a mirror. They will tell us about ourselves 
but we they we we can't know ourselves that it, the the text the, what the knowledge we get from text is information understanding but that is not self knowledge we need to actually experience what we actually are to experience what we actually are we need to turn within we with our own inner eye the eye of awareness the eye of attention we need to look within to see ourselves as we actually are we can't investigate ourselves in books is what he's implying in all these sentences and then in the next sentence he says tan pancha kosan galul irupadu that means oneself is within the five sheaves. But Panchakosa means five sheaves. That is the, the five sheaves, is, uh, for those who are not familiar with it, that is what we now mistake ourselves to be is a, is a bundle of, uh, of five sheaves. That is, the, the five sheaves are the physical body, the life that animates the physical body, and the mind, intellect, and will but function within the body. So these five make uh, are what are called the five sheaths. These make up the person we seem to be. So when Bhagavan often says ego is the false awareness, I am this body. But what he means by body, as he clarifies in Uladunapadu, in verse 5 of Uladunapadu, he says, Udal Panchakosuru. That means the body is a form of five sheaths. So what, what he means by that is the but when he refers to the body, he's not just referring to a physical body. Because has it, have have we can we ever experience ourselves as just the physical body? No. Whenever we experience ourselves as the body, physical body, we also the, the body. We never experience ourselves as a dead body. It's always a living body. So the body and life are there. And we never experience ourselves as a sleeping body. It's always a, a body that seems to be awake. So the, the body, life, when we're awake, mind, intellect, and will are all functioning within this body. So they, together these form a, a bundle. And the reason why they're called sheaves is it's not literally that one is inside another, but they're different degrees of subtlety. The, the grossest is this physical body. Subtler than this physical body is the life. That's all the physiological processes that animate the body. Uh, but subtler than the, this life is the mind. The mind here means the grosser functions of the mind, not the intellect and the will, but other functions, the, the um, perceptions, memories, um, thoughts, feelings, uh, emotions, and so on. That's all, all those grosser aspects of the mind, uh, what are called... But mind in this context, intellect is that is that is something deeper than the mind. In that, intellect is what judges, what discriminates, what discerns, what distinguishes one thing from another thing. That is the intellect, the reasoning faculty, the the, the ability to distinguish and recognize one thing from another thing. That's the intellect. Subtlest of all is the will. The will is all the vasanas, because the, earlier, Ted, we were talking about not trying to, but I was saying when in the context of trying to convince others, everyone believes what they want to believe. It's the intellect that decides what we should believe, but the intellect is driven by the will. So we, we, we first decide what we want to believe, and then we use our intellect to try and justify our belief. Um, 
So but, but will is the subtlest of all. All these are something other than ourself. Because the, all these uh, five, they appear in waking and dream. They are absent in sleep. So it's only when we rise as ego that we are aware of these five and take them to be ourself. And we, we're not aware of them individually as I, collectively as I. I am sitting here talking and thinking and, um, and um, desiring this or, or, or whatever. That's all, we're talking about all, I am breathing, that is, I am sitting is the body. I am breathing, that is the life. I am thinking, that is the mind. I am reasoning, deciding what I should say next. That is the intellect. And I'm wanting, I'm wanting to make, speak very clearly, to make my ideas clear. That is the will. So all those I'm experiencing simultaneously as I. So I don't, though we can distinguish them, we can experience them collectively as ourselves. So, but what we actually are is within these five sheaths. That is, we are something separate from these five sheaths, but we are now we are not something outside these five sheaths. We are that which is inside these five sheaths, experiencing them as ourself. Um, so but, but, but all he Bhagavan says in this sentence is, oneself is within the five sheaths. Nulgalo avatrikul velil irupave, whereas texts are outside them. Therefore, um, uh, Investigating in text to know oneself, whom it is necessary to investigate, uh, setting aside uh, uh, all the five sheaves is useless. That is, since we exist within the five sheaves and the texts are outside, we need the five sheaves in order to read the text. Without a body, without a mind, we, uh, without an intellect, we can't read these texts. So it's through the five sheaths that we are seeing these things. But to know ourselves, we, we don't need these five sheaths. We need to set aside the five sheaths. The verb he uses is niki. Niki means um, uh, putting aside or setting aside or excluding or removing or giving up or separating ourselves from. So we need to separate ourselves from these five sheaths to know what we actually are. In order to read any scriptures or to think, uh, to, to have discussions about scriptures, now we are discussing uh, uh, Nana, this uh, text, who am I? This is something outside ourselves. So to read this, to think about it and to talk about it, we, we need these five sheaths to go out through it. But where, what is this text pointing at? This, how, why this is a useful text? Because it is saying knowledge cannot be attained from anything outside yourself. You can know yourself only within yourself. You yourself are the knowledge you seek to know. So we need to, we need to turn our attention back within. That's why he says, uh, Setting aside the five sheaths, it's necessary to investigate ourselves uh, uh, within uh, that. That we need to turn within. So how? It, so trying to investigate and know ourselves in books. In order to read the books, we need to look outside. So we are looking in the wrong direction. So trying to know ourselves in books is futile. Is useless. Vine, it's a very, um, he says it very strongly, Vine, he doesn't just say Vine, Vine would mean useless, Vine, it is totally useless. We're looking in the wrong direction. If you want to, if you want to um, 
to uh, see what, if someone gives you a book and asks you to investigate and see what's written in it, you have to open the book and see. You don't just put the book to one side and look somewhere else and think, what is in this book? What is in this book? Or no, you have to open the book and see it. Likewise, to know what we are, we need to look at ourselves. And then um, he, the next sentence, he gives a beautiful definition of what is liberation. Uh, just a quick question, Michael. Yes, yes, certainly. Quick certainly. question. Thank you. Um, so uh, uh, another teacher uh, that I that I listened to um, puts it this way that the map is not the territory. Uh, the map is useful yes, for exactly. for then for 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 finding your way yes. in the territory. But you must actually, yes. <laughs> you must actually <laughs> traverse the territory. Yes, so, yes. We, yes. You okay. can spend all your life studying the map, but the map will not be meaningful. I mean, you will understand what this symbol means. These contours mean there's a hill here and uh, there's a river here. We, we, we understand what the symbols mean, but we yes. don't really understand the map. It, 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 until we go to a place, when we go to a yes. place, ah, this is the river that is shown there. This is what this symbol represents. We the the, the map becomes more meaningful uh, when we go to the territory. But yes. the map is there only to know the territory. So yes, we right. take the map with us. The map is a very good guide to us on our journey. But the, merely studying the map without undertaking the journey <laughs> right. is useless. That is what yes. one is saying here. Exactly. Yes, yes, of course, because, I mean, what we're trying to do is actually be in the territory, actually. Yes. And the territory actually, we need to yeah. be in, the map is outside, the territory is inside. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. When our mind comes out, the map is very useful to remind us to go back within. But we need to go back within to, in, to, to undertake the journey that, we've, that, uh, that needs to be undertaken. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, so in the next sentence, Bhagavan gives a very nice definition of liberation. He says, um, investigating who, one, who is oneself who is in bondage and thereby knowing one's yatata sarupa, one's actual own nature, alone is liberation. So uh, uh, that is the, the main clause here is knowing one's uh, actual nature alone is liberation. How do we know our actual nature? In order to know our actual nature, we need to investigate who am I who is in bondage. The truth is we are never in bondage. We seem to be in bondage because we haven't investigated ourselves. If we investigate ourselves, we will know that we are eternally liberated. Bhagavan doesn't say that here, but in elsewhere he says it. So because we seem to be in bondage, we need to investigate ourselves. If we investigate this, this uh, ego who now seems to be bound, we will thereby know what we actually are, and then we will know that we are eternally liberated. Um, and then the next sentence is a very, very important sentence, because in this sentence, Bhagavan gives a clear, unambiguous uh, uh, unequivocal definition of what Atma, what Atma Bichara means. Um, it's expressed in a very uh, uh, terse way in Tamil, 
what, what it what the, the literal meaning of the Tamil is um, only to always keeping the mind fixed on oneself is the name Atmavichara. So what that means is the name Atmavichara means self-investigation. So the name Atmavichara refers only to the practice, but it's not said practice, but it implies the practice of always keeping the mind fixed on Atman. Atman means oneself. Um, the reason this sentence is here is because if you go to, <coughs> to many of the traditional lecturers on, um, on Advaita, they will talk for hours and hours on Atmavichara without ever talking about this. Because what they take to be Atmavichara is in, in, the, in the texts, in the scriptures, in the Advaitic texts, they have what are called Prakriyas. These are, are Prakriyas means different, um, different ways of arriving at the conclusion of what we are. But these Prakriyas are all just ways of analyzing our experience. For example, one of the prakriyas is distinguishing the seer from the seen, the knower from the known. Another one is analyzing our experience in the three states. Another one is analyzing, the uh, distinguishing uh, what is changing from what is unchanging, or what is permanent from what is impermanent. So they have all these different uh, ways of analyzing our experience. But these are all just preliminary. This isn't the Atma Vichara. The Atma Vichara is once we've understood that we are not the, we are not anything seen, we are the seer. We are not anything known, we are the knower. We are not anything, um, we, we are not any of these five sheaths. We are that which is uh, the, the eye that is mistaking itself to be five sheaths. That is what we, uh, uh, are now to investigate, but we are not. Um, we 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 are not that which appears. We are not. We are that which is. We're not anything that appears in one of or, or more of the three states. We are that which exists in all the three states. That's why we analyze the three states to recognize that we exist in all the three states. So all these different prakriyas point to the fact. But what we actually are is only I am. It's only that fundamental awareness I am. Having understood that, how do we know ourselves? We need to investigate ourselves. We need to keep the mind fixed on ourselves, as Bhagavan says. Keeping the mind fixed on ourselves means attending to ourselves. If I mean, it, it, in, in this respect, Tamil is just like in English. In English, if you say, um, Keep your mind on the on the task at hand, or fix your mind on it, or his mind is engrossed in the book. In so many ways, we're using mind there in the sense of attention. If your if your mind is on something, that means your attention is on it. So keeping the when he says keeping the mind fixed on oneself, it means keeping the attention fixed on oneself. And this, incidentally. Though it's not there called Atmavichara, but exactly this same practice is described by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, I think in chapter 6, verse 25. That's one of the verses that Bhagavan has translated into Tamil in Bhagavad Gita Saram. In that, Krishna says, Atma Samstam Manakritva. That means fix the mind in, uh, uh, 
uh, in yourself. Do not think of anything else whatsoever. So our whole attention needs to be fixed on ourself. If our attention is fixed on ourself, then there's no room for thinking about anything else. Because if we, we cannot think about anything else without allowing our attention to go away towards those other things. If we keep our mind fixed on ourselves, we are thereby avoiding thinking of anything else. So what Krishna has described in, in, in the Bhagavad Gita is exactly what Bhagavan is saying here. Keeping the mind fixed on ourselves. This alone is Atmavachara. So read, studying all the books, that is useful preliminary. And it's also useful as a guide, but it is, that is not Atmavachara. If we read the books, spend a whole lifetime reading the books and never do Atmavachara, we haven't understood the books because the, the purpose of all the of all the Dvaita texts, if they're understood correctly, is to point our attention back at ourselves. So instead of point, instead of attending to ourselves, if we go on studying the books, we are missing the point. We're missing the we we are we are overlooking the practical implication of all the books. In the books, it is said, you are that. What is the practical implication of the you are that? Till now, we've been looking for something outside ourselves, whether we call it God or Brahman or happiness or knowledge or something. We've been looking always for it outside. The, the Upanishads say, you are that. What does that mean? That means stop looking for it outside. Stop looking for that as if it's something other than yourself. You yourself are that. So know yourself and you know that. So we should, how to know myself? I must investigate myself. So the, the, the practical implication of these Mahavakyas is missed by people who go on and on studying uh, uh, the, the texts without ever turning their attention within to see who am I. And then in the next sentence, Bhagavan says, uh, the next sentence, it, actually these two sentences are divided only by a semicolon because the next sentence grammatically is a continuation because it begins with the word dianamo. That O is equivalent to whereas. So whereas dhyana is imagining oneself to be Satchidananda Brahman. Uh, the, the word he uses for imagining is Babipadu. Babipadu means considering or imagining or thinking oneself to be Satchidananda Brahman. In other words, Brahman, who is Satchidananda? Brahman means the ultimate reality, and Satchidananda means being, awareness, happiness. That's our own real nature. So just thinking I am Brahman, that is dhyana. But that is not Atmavichara. Atmavichara is fixing our attention on ourselves and not thinking of anything at all. Um, and then he concludes this paragraph saying, Katrave anateyum orukalatil maraka vendi varum. That means at, at one time it will become necessary to forget all that one has learned. What is the significance of that in this context? Because the, this paragraph is about, it, it, indirectly Bhagavan is criticizing in this paragraph people who believe but knowledge, but re, true knowledge can be obtained from books. Whatever knowledge you gain from books, the time is going to come when you're going to have to forget it. In fact, every day we forget it when we fall asleep. Even if you're thinking about Vedanta throughout the waking and dream states, 
you forget all your Vedanta, all your Mahavakyas, all your Upanishads and Brahma Sutras and Bhagavad Gita's, Uludu, Napdu, Nana. Uh, everything is forgotten when we fall asleep. And when death comes, we will forget it all. And if we want to, if we come back again, then we have to relearn it all. So all this knowledge gained from books is useful. As you said, Melissa, if we take it as a map, if we take it as a signpost, but merely looking at the signpost or looking at the map without following the direction is missing the point. So all these texts are useful only to the extent to which they uh, they make us understand why we need to investigate ourselves. And to investigate ourselves, we need to set aside the books and look within. Because so long as we're looking at the books, we're looking outwards, we're looking away from ourselves. So we need to we need to not only set aside the books, we need to set aside all the knowledge we've gained in the book. We need to just take the practical implication of all that knowledge. Uh, the, the implication of all that knowledge is, if I am that, then I need to know who am I. So I need to investigate myself. So uh, I've finished it, it now. We've just managed to <laughs> squeeze it all within half an hour or so. But... Um, this is a this is a very very important paragraph, particularly for those who who think that knowledge can be obtained from books. The books are useful only to the extent that they make us understand, but we need to look within. So we cannot get knowledge. We cannot get jnana from all of Bhagavan's teaching from Uludunapti Upadesha Undia. Uh, Nana, all these books, we cannot get jnana from it. Does that mean these books are useless? No, they're very useful because, precisely because they're telling us that the knowledge we are seeking is within ourselves. We need to turn within to know it. So any, any philosophy is useful only to the extent to which it, uh, it makes us understand and prompts us to look within to see what we actually are. If we don't turn within, all the philosophy is of no use whatsoever. Because ultimately, the real knowledge, the, the reason the, 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 the reasoning you will hear from the lecturers on Vedanta is the problem is ignorance. Ignorance can be removed only by knowledge. The knowledge can be obtained only from the books, they think. No. The knowledge you obtain from the books will point you in the right direction. But you can't get, you can't know Brahman in books. You need to know it within yourself because you yourself are Brahman. So but what is the ignorance? The ignorance is the false awareness, I am this person. If I begin to study books, who is studying? It is Michael who has studied all of Vedanta and is so knowledgeable about all these texts. That That is, it is... It is the knowledge is gained by the person they seem to be, by the intellect. But who? So that is not the real knowledge. The real knowledge is only we ourselves of the real knowledge. In in one um, in verse thirteen of Uludunapju, Bhagavan says, "Jnana mam tane me." One self who is jnana alone is real. Jnana means um, knowledge or awareness. In this context, it means awareness. That pure awareness, I am. That is what we actually are. That alone is what is real. So how can we know that knowledge? Only by turning our attention within and, uh, and 
seeing ourselves as we actually are. Michael, <clears throat> yes. Thank you very much. This is a uh, perfect timing, yes. as usual. You just kind of like hit the nail right on the head. Um, thank you for much, so much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it, it kind of sounds like something I learned a long time ago. Is that adults learn by doing, by experimenting, you know, by experiencing, yes. and that's what. That's what this is. We have to experience ourselves. Yes. We can't get it yes. from any other place other than within. Yes. So thank it, you for being here today. It, it's important that it, in the first sentence of this paragraph, Bhagavan said, he doesn't say there's no benefit to be gained by studying scriptures. He says there's no benefit to be gained by studying uh, the text without limit. So there should be a limit. We, that is, what is the purpose of studying the text? We study them in order to find how to know myself. To, to know myself, I need to go within. So we, we shouldn't go on and on and on. Once we get the basic principle, that all of Vedanta, the essence of all of Vedanta, Bhagavan has compacted into a few texts, like this Nana, Uludhanapta, Upadeshundia. If we master these texts, there's no need to go on reading other books endlessly. Right? That is the core of all of Vedanta, Bhagavan has given him these texts. Not only the not only the philosophy, the practical implication of that philosophy. That's what's unique about Bhagavan's teachings. He's all of Bhagavan's teachings are focused on the practice. Because what is the purpose of this philosophy? What is the purpose of all these texts? It's to point us towards the practice. The practice is to turn within to see who am I. That alone is Atma Bichara. Michael, another exceptional presentation. Thank you so much for coming to us once a month. <laughs> right. Well, all thanks to Bhagavan. <laughs> all this comes only from Bhagavan. I'm just uh, re relaying what he has said. <laughs>